If you've been watching the TV show uh, The Chosen, you know that it is a, a creative, dramatic, and crowd crowdfunded uh, retelling of the, the life of Jesus. Uh, the show tells the story of Jesus with a real emphasis on the Jewish, Roman, cultural context, uh, and also really zeroes in on some of the relationships that, that his disciples have with each other. Now, the writers, as you know, if you've seen it, take plenty of liberties, and uh, there's always this this ever-present uh, Christian cheese factor, uh, but the show is actually really well done. The second season of The Chosen, it actually wrapped up a few months ago, and the season, second season, culminates uh, with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So during the second season, Jesus spends the entire season writing the sermon uh, with the assistance of Matthew, who makes suggestions, um, and the last episode of the, of the season ends just as Jesus takes the stage to deliver it. We are picking up where the second season of The Chosen leaves off. Uh, we are starting a six-month study of the Sermon on the Mount in a series called uh, Religion Redefined, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, it's uh, Jesus' big manifesto uh, recorded by Matthew in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 in which Jesus just makes plain God's radical demands for his people. And we're studying this sermon in an in-depth way because if you want to really follow Jesus and if we want to be a community of people that really follow Jesus, we have to understand God's radical demands for his people. And that's the only way, Jesus talks about this in the sermon, that's the only way that we're going to withstand the storms of life and faith is if our lives and our community is, is built on the foundation of Christ's words. Now, we didn't much talk about the sermon a proper last week. We just talked about the context. We talked about Matthew's introduction. And if you're really interested in following along during the series and digging into the sermon, you really need to go back and just watch or listen last week's message. But one of the things we discussed was that Matthew describes the sermon very differently from how it exists in our imagination. Uh, even in The Chosen, the, the disciples have built this big stage on which Jesus can stand on. They've actually spent the entire episode passing out flyers to all kinds of people to get them to show up for this, for this big event. And people have come from miles around. And yeah, Matthew uh, in, in the gospel does say that there was a big crowd. But as we talked about last week, Jesus is not actually preaching to the crowd. In the introduction, Matthew puts it like this. He says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So the sermon isn't really even intended for the crowd. He's sitting down with his disciples, all four of them at the time. My point is that Jesus isn't interested in drawing a crowd. He's interested in calling disciples. People with whom he can sit down and have honest conversations about really tough things. And I want to keep this in mind as we go through the study. We might like what Jesus has to say in this sermon. We might even be amazed at what Jesus has to say. And even at the end of the sermon, the crowds are amazed at what Jesus had to say. And that's great. Sure, be amazed by Jesus. He's amazing. But are you amazed enough to leave the crowd and become one of his followers? And have honest conversations with Jesus about what he expects of us. With that introduction, let's go ahead and jump into the actual sermon itself. This morning, 
we're going to talk about one of the most well-known passages in Scripture, one of the most famous, the most famous introduction ever to the most famous speech ever given. It's a fairly intimidating text. It's something called the Beatitudes. So let me go ahead and read it to you, and then we'll talk about them. Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Famous words, inspiring words. Uh, in the passage, Jesus offers a blessing to different groups of people. Uh, maybe they're poor, maybe they're meek, maybe they're persecuted, maybe they're peacemakers, maybe they're pure in heart. Honestly, it's, it's a very diverse group of people. It, it even seems kind of random. Like, is there a theme here? tying these groups of people together? And there is a theme. If you look really closely, what's the theme tying all these random groups of people together? Here's the theme tying them all together. They're all suffering. They're all in a hard place. One way or another, they're in a hard place. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are in a hard place because they're empty. Those who are meek are in a hard place because they're small. Those who are peacemakers are in a hard place because they're in the middle. Nobody likes them if you're in the middle. I'm a peacemaker. I was a peacemaker during COVID. Nobody liked me. I was in the middle. This is a list of suffering people. What does Jesus have to say to them? What does he do? Well, he, he blesses them. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. That's why these verses are actually called the Beatitudes. Uh, the Greek word for blessed that, 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 that Matthew uses here is the word makarismoi. That's in Greek, and it's translated into Latin, beatitudo. That's why they're called the Beatitudes. I should tell you, though, that the question of how to translate that Greek word, makarismoi, has always been a, a bit tricky. It's, it's usually translated blessed, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? I mean, when we bless one another, what happens? Blessed are you, Karen. What happened in Karen's life right now? I just blessed her. She didn't feel anything? Nothing? Bless you. Okay? Something? Like, what happens when Jesus blesses these people? What happens? And even the word, it's actually a little trickier to translate than people think. Uh, other versions of the, of the Beatitudes translate it slightly differently. Like, some, sometimes it's translated, for example, happy are the poor in spirit. Lucky are the persecuted, or, or even this, in some translations, congratulations to, congratulations to the hungry, congratulations to the poor in spirit. I actually like that last translation the best, because it, it draws attention to the radical act, the, the, the craziness of what Jesus is saying. 
He's calling the poor and the sad and the hurting happy, her lucky. He's congratulating them. Now, why? Why congratulate the poor? Why congratulate the persecuted? That just sounds rude. Who, who drives by a beggar on the street corner, rolls down your window, and yells out the window, Lucky you! In fact, quick story. Uh, many years ago, I was a, a young pastor, and I was asked to do a funeral, and I had, uh, maybe I'd done a funeral, I, or maybe none. Uh, anyway, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and the funeral itself went, went fine, <clears throat> but then there's the graveside service. And I had actually called up a pastor friend of mine to, to have him talk me through what happens at the graveside. So, all right, well, here's what, what happens. You know, there's a casket there, and then there's the, the chairs for the family. They're sitting right there. And then the crowd sort of like spills out underneath, and then sometimes there's an awning. So what you do is you, you go to the head of the casket, and you um, say a few words, read scripture, pray. And then what you do afterwards is you actually you go up to the family, shake their hand, wish them well. That sort of concludes the service, you know, just... Give them some individual attention. You just go down the, the row of family just to give your best to the family. So that's what I did. The funeral went fine. And then we went to the graveside, and I stood at the casket, and the family's sitting right there. And uh, the crowd was kind of behind, and I say a few words, and I pray, and then I read scripture, and then I, and I go up, and I reach out my hand. And I hadn't actually thought through this particular moment. And uh, I'm nervous the whole time, anyway. Um, and, you know, I get nervous. My, maybe you know this, what this is like. My words aren't there. You know, when you get nervous, the words just, they're not, they're not there. And, and I, like, reached out my hand. It was a young woman who had actually passed away, and I believe it was her mother sitting there. And reached out to, to shake her hand, and I'm like, it's a C word. <laughs> it's a C word. And I, I'm like, I meant to say my condolences. When I actually said, congratulations. <laughs> I am not lying. I congratulated this woman at the death of her daughter. Thankfully, thankfully, I was kind of hushed. And I think she was honestly so distracted by her grief that like she didn't hear. And I caught myself in the next person. I'm like, my condolences. I played it off. My condolences, my condolences, my condolences. And I thought I pulled it off. And then at the reception, a friend of mine and a family member came up to me. And she's like, hey, Matt, did you, did you? <laughs> Did you say congratulations at the funeral? I'm like, shoot! <laughs> shoot, 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 shoot! I've been discovered! And we thankfully we laughed about it. And, you know, we laughed at the ridiculousness, <laughs> the, the uh, incongruity of congratulating someone at a funeral of their loved one. You know, congratulations. Here's the thing. However you translate makarismoi, that should be the effect. Jesus is calling lucky, blessed. Jesus is congratulating those in the world who are hurting, poor, persecuted, and sad. Blessed are the, those who mourn. Blessed are the sad. Blessed are the hungry. Why would Jesus congratulate them? That should sound ridiculous to us. 
The poor are not lucky. The grieving are not lucky. The persecuted are not lucky. Why is Jesus congratulating them? This is actually a really important question. In order to answer it thoroughly, though, we actually need to pull back a bit. We need to talk about something that we will call the, the theocultural context. Or what people of the day thought about God. You, you see, in, in Jesus' day, there was a shared belief in something. There was a shared belief that God blesses the righteous with success. Lots of people thought this, that God blesses the righteous with success. People who were good, people who did good, well, God blessed them. I mean, and honestly, some parts of the Old Testament even like teach this. And there is some truth to it. I mean, if you obey God and you live a righteous life, things are just going to tend to go better for you. God will bless you with happiness, health, whatever. There is some truth to it. But it's just not that simple. In fact, this idea that God blesses the righteous with success, it's simplistic. But people believed it. Not only did people believe this, but they also believed the flip side. What's the flip side of the idea that God blesses the righteous with success? God curses the sinful with suffering. People believe that too. If things weren't going well for you in life, it might be because there was you know, sin in your life and God was punishing you. If you were poor or hungry or persecuted or sad or sick, it might just be because you're a sinner. People thought that. Jesus' disciples thought that. Maybe you know the story of uh, the, the man born blind in John 9. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through this town, and they see this guy who was born blind. I've never really known how they knew he was born blind. Maybe they knew who he was. But the the disciples asked Jesus this really interesting question. They asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What an odd question. Why would they ask it? They would ask it because they thought this. They, they thought that this sickness, blindness, was the result of sin in his life. Maybe he's an addict, maybe he's a thief or something, and he's just sort of getting what he deserved. That's why he's blind. What's the problem here, though? What's the problem? He had been born blind. So how did he sin? Did he, like, sin in the womb? Is that even possible? I mean, maybe. It's weird to think about. <laughs> Stop sinning. <laughs> I'm going to come down and give you something to sin about. (laughs) So if not that, then, well, what's the other possibility? Maybe his parents sin and pass it down to him. And Jesus clarifies to them. This isn't in the the English version, but it's in the the Greek. With a big eye roll, (laughs) Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned that he was born blind. And then he goes ahead and heals him. I mention the story because it illustrates the theocultural context, the beliefs of the day. God blesses the righteous with success, and God curses sinners with suffering. Before we proceed, though, I need to point out that this is not just an ancient old belief. People still think it. It's our theocultural context. People have always thought this. It's, it's just one of the ways we make sense of the world. Like I said, maybe there's some truth to it, but think of what it does to someone who thinks it. The successful end up thinking they're successful and healthy because God likes them and because, you know, they kind of deserve it. And the suffering, the sick, the poor, the broken, the poor, they think they're cursed by God because they've done something wrong. People have always thought that. In fact, maybe you do. 
Uh, maybe you think that you're a success in life because God likes you and you deserve it. Or maybe you think that you're suffering because God doesn't like you and you deserve that. Maybe you wonder if you're poor because, I don't know, God might have mixed feelings about you. Maybe you deserve that. Uh, maybe you think you're single because, you know, God's a little ambivalent about your future. Doesn't want to waste somebody else on you. Maybe, that, maybe you think that's what you deserve. Maybe you think you, you're, you're broke or unemployed or, or divorced or have cancer because God just doesn't like you and you de- that's what you deserve. Maybe you think that. People always have, which brings us back to the Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, Jesus states emphatically, emphatically, that the theocultural beliefs of the day are not true. You're not poor because you're cursed. You're not hungry because you're cursed. You're not persecuted because you're cursed. You're not meek because you're cursed. In fact, what are you? Oh my gosh, thank you. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what you are. You're blessed. You're blessed. Congratulations. You're blessed. Why, though? How? How are the poor blessed? How are the sad blessed? That's still, it's still, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds as ridiculous as some Yahoo preacher coming up to a mother at a funeral and congratulating her on the death of her daughter. That sounds ridiculous. Who would do such a thing? (laughs) How can Jesus call those who suffer blessed? Well, Jesus can do this for several reasons. First, First, he calls those who suffer blessed because quite simply, quite simply, God loves them. God hasn't cursed them. God loves them. God loves everyone. God is love. Everyone is blessed. That's a t-shirt. Everyone is blessed. Even those who don't like look like it, everyone is blessed. But secondly, God blesses those who suffer because, and this is Jesus' point, one of his points, because their suffering is almost over. Their long wait is almost through. And this was the essence of Jesus' message when he got here. He said, the kingdom of God is near. You're not going to be hungry forever. You're going to be filled. You're not going to be sad forever. You're going to be comforted. You're not going to be small, forgotten, meek forever. You're going to inherit the earth. You're not going to be lonely forever. You will know companionship. You will not have cancer forever. You will know healing. This is what he says. You have a future waiting for you. A future that is so certain Consider it present. But lastly, Jesus calls these people blessed because those who suffer are nearer to God than those who are successful. Did you know this? Those who suffer are nearer to God than those who are successful. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be hungry. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, oh, goody, today I get to be hated by my enemies. Yes. Congratulations. At the same time, in our heart of hearts, I think we know that when we are broken, we are closer to God. Or rather, when we are broken, God is closer to us. Or we are at least, how do we want to say this? We're at least more aware of our dependence on him and what he can be to us in our time of need. I mean, what does the psalmist say in Psalm 34? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. 
and he saves those who are crushed. I can testify to this. You can testify to this. It's in our grief. It's in our loss. It's in our need. It's in our hunger that we can meet God, right? That's when God shows himself to us, not when we're rich and healthy and have everything we need. In fact, when we're rich and we're healthy and we have everything we need, what does the Bible say we are? Are we blessed? If we're rich and we're healthy and we're happy and we have everything we need, you know what the Bible says we are? We're not blessed. You know what the Bible says we are? It says we're cursed. Let me show you something interesting. Uh, you might not know this, but there, there is another version of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Sermon on the Mount is actually recorded in two of them, Matthew and Luke, but they're kind of different, just slightly different in some important ways. So if you want to like, do a really cool Bible study, uh, Luke 6, Matthew 5, read them side by side and kind of see some differences. Um, in Luke, in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke, uh, the Beatitudes are in it. The Beatitudes are there. They're slightly different. They're, I guess you could say they're not quite as spiritual. It's a really interesting comparison. But in Luke, and this isn't true of Matthew. I know we're getting complicated here. But in Luke, the Beatitudes are there, but there's another section after it that's not in Matthew. After the blessings, you know what there are? There are the curses. After Jesus blesses the poor, here's what he says next in Luke. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Jesus. Nasty. Now, this doesn't mean it's wrong to have food or to laugh. What's he saying? He's saying the more you have, the less likely you are to know God. If we have stuff, if we're content, if we're well-fed, it's harder. If we have everything we need, it's less likely we're going to see our need for God. Honestly, this, this should terrify us as American Christians living in the land of plenty. So many of us have everything we need we have homes and multiple cars and incomes. We have access to medical care. We can take fantastic vacations. We have access to tons of media platforms where we can be entertained to our heart's content. We're blessed, right? Oh, we're so blessed here with everything we need. What would Jesus say? We're absolutely cursed here by having everything we need. Why are we cursed? Because we're just a little less likely to see our need for God, which at the end of it, is the only thing we need. That's the thing, though. Uh, behind our cars, behind our clothes, behind our full refrigerators, behind our Netflix, we are just as needy as everybody else. We are just as poor. We are just as broken. We are just as sick. And Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, his version, he actually makes this point. In the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Luke, for example, Jesus says this, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry. He, Jesus in Luke really focuses in on physical needs. Uh, but in Matthew, Jesus says something slightly different. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. So Jesus' point here is that whether or not you're hungry, whether or not you're poor, you're still hungry, you're still poor. Blessed are the poor and blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and those who hunger, there's a righteousness. So regardless of how much money you have in your account or how much food you have in your stomach, you still have need, profound need. You still need God. Congratulations. Congratulations. You're poor. One way or another. Now, what do we do with this? So what? Congratulations. You're poor. You're hungry. One way or another. What do we do? Well, we need to see our need. And we need to receive Jesus' promise. We need to see ourselves in the Beatitudes. And we need to know that Jesus is talking to us. Here is where we can meet God. In our brokenness, in our poverty, in our sorrow, we need to let Jesus bless us. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. We need to let him bless us. But also, we need to share the good news. We need to share it with the people who haven't heard it yet. Because there are plenty of people in our lives and communities who need to be blessed as Jesus blesses us. There are plenty of people who need to know they are not suffering because God hates them. They're not suffering because they deserve it. They need to know that God loves them, that their suffering is almost over, and that in their suffering they can know God. Who am I talking about? Well, of course, I'm talking about the hungry, the sad, the meek. But one of the problems I think we run into in, in reading the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes, is that we're so familiar with the words that we don't actually know what to do with them. We don't know how to apply them. So before we try to, before we take communion, let me try to reframe what Jesus is saying here in a slightly different way. If Jesus were to step onto our 21st century American soil, which in a way he, he, he has, who would he bless? Who would be on his list today? Everybody, yep. Um, but I, I think he would bless particularly uh, a group of people that I think of as the uns. Bless are the uns. The uns are the, the modern equivalent of the groups of people that Jesus blessed in the Beatitudes. These are the people who feel just less than everyone else today. They are the uns, the people without. They are the people who suffer for one reason or another. If Jesus were around today, I think he'd bless the uns. Like, for example, the unattractive. Blessed are the unattractive, Jesus would say. In a society in which everything, and I mean everything, is image-based, who is it who suffer? Those who don't measure up, those who don't look a certain way, those who don't have the proper shape or symmetry. Now, I actually think our culture has made a lot of progress in redefining what's beautiful through different ad campaigns, different companies have sort of normalized uh, different body shapes, but I think it only goes so far. I mean, even within certain categories of body shapes, you still have to have like the perfect version of that body shape. <laughs> or if you have that body shape, you, gotta have the, you still have to have the perfect face. I mean, you still have to have the perfect face, no matter what your body was. And maybe you heard, for example, uh, a, a, a reporter uh, asked Kelly McGillis, you know who Kelly McGillis is? 
Is that that Top, top Gun? Yes, exactly. But this is the thing. She was in the first Top Gun. She wasn't asked to come back in the second, second Top Gun. Everybody else came back. Sorry, spoiler alert. Everybody else came back in the second Top Gun, except for the, the dead people. They weren't allowed to come back. <laughs> but uh, a reporter asked Kelly McGillis, hey, did, did the producers ask you if you wanted to come back to Top Gun? Because uh, she wasn't. Sorry, spoiler. And she said, uh, no. They didn't ask. I'm old and fat. It's not what they want. We live in a world in which if we don't look a certain way, we don't get asked back. We feel less than. Beautiful people get better job offers. They get better opportunities. They go further in life. The rest just kind of feel left behind. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you feel unattractive. What would Jesus say to you? You are blessed. Blessed are the unattractive. Because you will know true beauty. Who else would Jesus bless? The unaccomplished. Blessed are the unaccomplished. If there's something else that our society worships besides beauty, it's success. It's, it's accomplishment. We, we like following successful people. We dream of being successful people. I mean, I dream of being successful. Always have. I'm, I'm getting ready in like 18 months. I'm turned 50 years old. It's crazy to think. Uh, but you have, maybe you, maybe you similar middle-aged men start thinking this thing like, is this it for me? <laughs> have, I, have I peaked? <laughs> but you know the feeling. We, we live in a world in which our cultural heroes are success stories and they never stop being success stories. How does that make the rest of us feel? I mean, I don't know about you, but, but a, good, a, a good day of accomplishment for me these days is just like getting through it. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Just getting through the day, that's a success for me. And sometimes, sometimes I barely, I barely get through the day. This past Thursday, for example, had a long week. I was just wiped Thursday. I didn't even get through Friday. <laughs> just wiped Thursday night. I went to bed Thursday night. I went to bed at 7.15. <laughs> and, and, I, and I actually started my way towards bed at like 6.55. It took me 20 minutes to get up the stairs. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm lying in bed, you know, just, I need some sleep. I'm lying in bed, and I'm thinking, like, Lord, what did I even do today? Did I even accomplish anything? And here I am in bed at 715. This is what it's like being alive. For the vast majority of humanity, working your tail off, not getting much done, and then going to bed exhausted. And then we compare ourselves to all the sex stories who get so much done. What are we compared to all the movers and shakers? Well, Jesus tells us what we are. What are we? We're blessed. Blessed are the unaccomplished. Blessed are those who go to bed at 7.15 and haven't really done much all day. Blessed are the unaccomplished. Because God is doing a mighty work inside of you. Regardless of what you have done with your life, God is doing a mighty work in you. Thirdly, blessed are the unnoticed. In our social media world, everybody is vying for attention. It's one of the ways we make ourselves feel good by being noticed. It's also one of the reasons why I scaled back on social media over the past few years. Uh, the, the look at me, look at me thing, it was just getting way too obvious, and it was sucking me in. I like make a post, I check back like 15 times how many people liked it or didn't, and who were they? I don't know if anybody else plays that little game. Oh, who liked it and who didn't? I want to be okay being not noticed. Most of the world is not noticed. 
for bad reasons. In his novel, Invisible Man, uh, Ralph Ellison tells the story of a black man who goes through life feeling unnoticed, invisible in a white majority culture. The, no the novel is actually about social invisibility. So who are the people in our world that we don't notice? Who are the socially invisible? Orphans, stuck in the foster care system. The elderly, quietly living out the rest of their lives in nursing homes. The homeless, living underneath underpasses. We don't have to look at them, we just drive right over. The disabled, whose needs are constantly ignored. The unborn, who don't have a voice. I, I even talk to people in church who don't always feel noticed. I, I've, I've talked to lots of single people over the years who just say, just feel ignored in American churches which just seem to be built for families. And I don't have one. Those are the people Jesus came to bless, though. The people we don't notice, Jesus came to bless. Blessed are the unnoticed. Why? Because Jesus sees you. And you are royal in the kingdom. So those are the Beatitudes. Those are the people Jesus came to bless. The uns, the unattractive, the unaccomplished, the unnoticed, the hungry, the poor, the grieving, the meek. You, me, those who suffer. We are not cursed by God because we're sinners. To be sure, yes, we're sinners. We're not cursed, we're blessed. We're blessed, why? Our future is coming. In fact, it's already here. We're blessed because God loves us even if we don't feel it. And we're blessed because we can know and experience God in a way that the successful never will be able to. How do we know that God loves us that much? Well, this brings us to communion. Uh, anybody who knows Jesus knows that he can give a good speech, right? He can knock your socks off. He can amaze you with everything he says about the love of God. But Jesus didn't just come to give a good speech about the love of God. Jesus came to show it. And how did he show it? How does he show us that we're blessed? Well, by dying for our sins. And that's what we celebrate during communion. We take communion on a third Sunday of every month here at Rooftop. In our understanding, here's what communion is. It is a uh, symbolic reenactment of what it means to be the family of God. We are his adopted children gathered around the dinner table, feasting on his grace. And we are that, the family of God, adopted by him because of what his one and only true son, Jesus, did on the cross. When we eat from the bread, we're reminded of his body, which is broken for us. We drink from the cup, we're reminded of his blood poured out for us. That's how Jesus shows us that we're blessed. Let's just tell us, he shows us. He gives us a future by forgiving us of our sins so that we can live forever, starting today in his presence.